chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Fourteen years ago, we embarked in a a new world for my wife and I. Uh, but as I as I have sat and contemplated, well, let me stop for a second. Is it okay if I just kind of reminisce for a little bit? Is that okay? Um, uh, you know, fourteen years ago when we started the church, Melanie and I to be perfectly honest, did not move here to start a church. You say, but wait a minute, I thought that's why you moved here. No, we moved here to, to be obedient to God and in the process started a church. We knew that God wanted us here. And I remember one day, probably about six months before the church actually started, Telling God, I don't know how many people are going to show, but if one person gets saved in our attempts to do what we believe you want us to do, then it would all be worth it. And we have had the privilege as a church to see many, many, many people get saved through the years. Some of you sitting here have been saved here. Some of you have grown here. And, and, and I praise God for that. This is the first anniversary of our church that one of my parents is not here. Some of you may know this, but <clears throat> a year ago in June, uh, my dad died. So he missed last anniversary and then Um, About two months ago, my mom died. And they had a huge part in this church getting started. They, um, once we, okay, let me back up. We, We started at the end unit down here. That's where we started. And they, they came out every day for probably a month to help us paint it, get everything ready, get everything set up. They, they sacrificed their time. And then every weekend for four weeks leading up to the beginning of the church, we were out. Uh, a church from Carson City came to help us, and we were out passing out literature on everybody's door to try and let everybody know we were starting And my mom and dad came every Saturday morning and they would sit down there by themselves until everybody got back with cold water and and treats and everything to to encourage it. And, And you know what? They weren't even saved. My mom and dad did not get saved until about three or four years ago. I praise God for that. This morning, <clears throat> I have a message this morning, but it's it, it's uh, it's really just something that I, I just want to share with you. This is just a um, this is not a quote unquote sermon. This is just me sharing my heart with you. Is that okay? Good. 
We officially chartered the church uh, in November. We started in July, and we chartered the church in November. And when we did that, a whole bunch of us, the the signatures are right back there on the back wall, but a whole bunch of us got together, and we accepted a constitution as our guidelines for operation of Grace Baptist Church. And in that constitution is a portion that I want to talk about this morning. A constitution is a legal agreement for the operation of an organization. Okay, It's it's a legal document, basically. But within the legal document, there is a section called the covenant. A covenant... Is written is a written agreement. I, I, I got the di- the dictionary out and I got this definition and this is what it says. A covenant is a written agreement or promise usually sealed uh, between two or more parties, especially in the performance of some action. So a covenant in the case of our church is an agreement within our constitution to agree upon how we are going to live our lives as members of this great church. Now, I do want to say this before I get started. Anything great that has happened at this church has nothing to do with my wife or I. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. I want to I want to throw that disclaimer out there because it has you know my my goal has been and and should be as the pastors of this church is that when I am no longer pastor this church just keeps right on going because it is not my church it's his church and when I invite people to my church I am inviting them uh Uh, not because it's my church because I'm the pastor, but because it's my church because I'm a member just like you are. Just like you would invite somebody to your church. That's so, so please understand this is not my church. It's his church. And this is the covenant that we as a church body has, have agreed upon to live our lives accordingly. Let me read it to you. As believers in Jesus Christ, who have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost by the immersion in water, we do now most solemnly and joyfully covenant together with one another as one body. In the presence of God, the angels, in the assembly to do the following by the grace of God to the best of our abilities. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the the, uh, advancement of Grace Baptist Church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinance, discipline, and doctrine and to contribute cheerfully and regularly 
to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and personal devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred, acquaintances, and all others, to walk circumspectly in the world by denying ungodliness and worldly lust, to be just in our dealings, faithful to our encouragement, uh, uh, encouragements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and ex- excessive anger, to abstain from such worldly living and support of our involvement in practices to promote ungodly uh, lifestyles, and to be zealous by our example and efforts to advance the cause of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy of speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the principles of our Savior and to secure reconciliation without delay. As I <clears throat> read this recently, as I was as I was sitting in my office contemplating how, uh, what to what to preach this morning, I I, I came across this uh, this idea of and I and I, I I opened up the Constitution and I read this and 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 I asked myself this question: Am I living what this document says I need to live? Does, does the covenant in our Constitution describe my life? And as I contemplated this, I tell you, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with it. This morning I want to share with you eight, eight thoughts. You think, eight thoughts? He's going to be here till 9 o'clock tonight. No, I won't, I promise. <clears throat> but I want to share with you eight thoughts that God gave me in our covenant. Eight biblical thoughts that God gave me in the covenant. As I sat there and I started thinking about it, and I read through it, and I read through it over and over and over, God started working in my heart and my life. And, and I, I just want to share with, with you what he did in my life. The title of my message is, Are We Doing Right? As a church body, as a corporate body, are we doing right? This is a powerful question. And as I sat in my office that day and I, and I prayed, and that, that thought came to my head is, Am I doing right? Not because I need to follow the Constitution, but because I need to follow Christ. 
eight biblical principles that we have in our in our covenant that each and every one of us should be living. Are we doing right? I'm just going to say this. I have no desire to be a part of a church country club. I have no desire to be a part of a church country club. You, you say, what's a church club? Well, <clears throat> let me put it to you this way. I want to be a part of a godly New Testament church. A church country club, if you want to, if you want to go to a church country club, then hopefully that's not our church. We as a church should never desire to be a mega church. Now, if God ever chooses to put that burden on us, <clears throat> I, I hope he never does. But that's his business because it's his church. Our desire should only be to do right. And as a church corporate body, for us to live in God's will for our church. Again, if that, if that means our church is, stays the way it is, that's God's business. If we end up building a building and having 600,000 people coming to church, you know, that's his business. Hopefully, I, I, that, yeah, you'll have another pass for that happens. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, it's, it's, his, it's his church. And he's going to do with it as he feels fit. It's our job to walk with him. So, number one. <clears throat> number one of eight. So we're going to blow through these eight really fast, okay? So let me, let me start with this one. Number one, are we one body? Let me read the covenant again. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost by <clears throat> immersion in water, do we now solemnly and joyfully covenant together with one another as one body in the presence of God, the angels, and this assembly to do the following by the grace of God to the best of our abilities. Earlier I asked you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Hopefully you're there by now. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of his faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. God gives us a word picture here of the body, how the, the church is supposed to function like a body. I did some research, and I found out that the average adult human body 
has 207 bones. I had no idea. 207 bones, 650 muscles, 78 organs, and multiple systems. What I mean by that is what I, what I found out was you have a skeletal system, a muscular system, a uh, nervous system, a blood system. Anyway, you got a whole bunch. The illustration, the word picture that God gives us in Romans chapter 12 <clears throat> is, is very, very simple. When the body is healthy, all the parts of the body work together. But what happens when the body is not healthy? Just ask Rick. He's back there, you know, he's got, a, he, he, he's got an infection in his calf. Did, did, does your, did, did it affect your whole body? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the night before he went to the hospital, he was sitting in his, you know, with his jacket on, just freezing and shivering. And what, what was happening? The body was telling you, hey, there's a problem. And God, in his wisdom, gives us a picture of the church and the body as being the same thing. And the reality is this. When some part of our church is hurting, it should hurt the whole church. When one of us is hurting, we should all hurt. We should all pray for each other. We should all come to the need, and we'll talk more about that. But it is, it is the, the function of the entire church. It is not my job as a pastor to run around and take care of everybody's needs. It is the it is the job of the church. Periodically, someone will come to me and say, Pastor, hey, you know what? I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Shouldn't you reach out to him? I said, well, why don't you reach out to him? I already have. But don't you think it would mean more if it came from you than me? It's the responsibility of the church. when the body's hurting. The next seven steps, <clears throat> I think, help keep the body healthy. Number two, are we living agape love? Are we living agape love? The next part of the covenant. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. Agape love. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new covenant give I unto you, that ye love one another. And as I have loved you, that ye have love one to another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. The word love there is the word agape. God-like love or Christian love. Unconditional love. And that is the love that we have covenanted together to have for each other. 
one of the struggles that we have is this. But pastor, you don't understand. This person was mean to me. Oh, so that means, I'll, oh, you only have to love them when they are nice to you. Is that, is that agape love? No, it is not. Agape love says, okay, look, you know what? You were mean to me, so I'm going to be extra nice to you. That's what agape love says. And we as a church family, that needs to be the premise of our love for each other. Now, now the reality is this. When you take as many personalities as you have in this room now, and you put them all together in one room, are you going to have conflict? Hello? But think about this. If we truly demonstrate agape love, what happens to the conflict? It goes away. But that means each of us need to demonstrate that love. Not just some of us, but each of us. A healthy body starts with love. Unconditional love. Number three. I told you I was going to move fast. Number three. <clears throat> Are we faithful to the Word? Are we faithful to the Word? Let me continue reading the, our covenant. To strive for the advancement of Grace Baptist Church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort. To promote its prosperity and spirituality. To sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Are we, key, are we faithful to the word? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is the Word of God that needs to be preeminent at Grace Baptist Church. Not my opinion, not the opinions of men, not the philosophies of men, but the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what this book says. It's this book that matters. Number four. Number four. And we're, we'll, we're already halfway there. Are we teaching our children? Let me continue reading. We also engage to maintain family and personal devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred, acquaintances, and others. 
are we teaching our children? Let me read you Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt walk, excuse me, and shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. This passage in Deuteronomy is an incredibly important passage for for families. This, This passage is telling us that we have the obligation to teach our children the principles and the word of God every opportunity that we have. Every opportunity that we have. My wife was much better at this than me. I, 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 part of my problem is I have tunnel vision. And when I'm, when I'm doing something, I get focused on that thing. But it was amazing to me. My wife would always be able to think about this stuff. And when, when the kids were little, we would, we would go on bike rides. And uh, I had a... Uh, uh, Ashley had a little bicycle and, and uh, Tim, Tim was little and he, we had this thing on the back of my bike that he rode in. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a car seat thing. But anyway, on the back of that, we would, we would strap a bucket to the back of that. And at the back of our neighborhood, well, actually, we had to cross into the next neighborhood and go to the back of that neighborhood. But there were wild um, blackberries that grew back there. And we would ride through the neighborhood, and we would go back there in the evenings. And my wife, we'd be picking blackberries. And you remember those? Yeah. Um, uh, We'd be picking blackberries, and my wife would take the opportunity to share the goodness of God through the fruit that he's given us. And he would teach our kids the importance of thanking God for everything that he's provided for us. Or if we'd be at the beach or whatever and we'd see the sunset or whatever, she was constantly in that, in that mode of teaching our children. Every opportunity that she had, or excuse me, that we have, we need to be teaching our children the things of God. As parents and grandparents, it's our responsibility to teach our children now, I'm going to say something, so please, please understand the context of what I'm about to say. This is a newsflash. It is not the church's responsibility to teach your children the things of God. Whose responsibility is it? It's the parents' responsibility. Now, I will say this. It is the church's responsibility to help equip the parents. Okay? And to come alongside the parents and reinforce what you're teaching. But if the reality is this, think about this. How many many days of the week do your kids go to school? Five. 
for how many hours? Huh? Yeah, seven, seven, eight hours. I was thinking six, but okay. But okay, let's just let's just say six hours a day, five days a week. How many hours a week does the church get your kids? About an hour, hour and a half at the most. Who do you think is going to win the battle? The school. The church can't do it. It has to come from the home. And it has to be every opportunity you get to teach your kids. Again, it's the church's responsibility to help you, to equip you, to come alongside you and reinforce the things you're teaching. But are we, as a church, are we teaching our children the things of God? Number five. Probably one of the most important. Are we walking circumspectly? Are we walking circumspectly? And you think, okay, well, let, let me read the next part of the covenant. It says, to walk circumspectly in the world. And, and <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says this, uh, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The word circumspectly means to be mindful or accurate. So as you, as you walk through life, you're supposed to be mindfully or accurately walking through life. I've, I've used this illustration before. I heard it many, many years ago. And it is the best definition or the best illustration, I think, of what circumspectly is. Picture, if you would, a cat walking the top of a fence and a bulldog on either side of the fence jumping up at the cat. Now, I don't know about you, but every cat I've ever seen that walks the top of my fence with my little Sarah, every time she sees that cat, that cat is incredibly careful not to fall. But think about this. Walking the, post, the, the, the top of a fence with a bulldog on either side, that cat, every step that cat makes is going to be incredibly cautious and careful. Why? Because one slip, and that, that cat's a goner. And that is the picture of this word circumspectly. We need to be incredibly careful how we live our lives. Because people are watching. And the devil wants to destroy your life. He does not want to make your life miserable. He wants to destroy your life. And we need to be incredibly careful. Why, why do we need to be so careful? The Bible says in Ephesians 
5 that we just read because we need to redeem the time or make every opportunity count because the days are evil. Now, how many years ago was Ephesians chapter 5 written? At least 2,000, okay? 2,000 years ago. Do you think the world is better now than it was then? So if we were told to walk circumspectly then, don't you think it's even more important now? We need to walk circumspectly. People are watching. People are watching you. People are watching our church. Walk circumspectly. Number six. Are we living what we say? Are we living what we say? Let me continue reading. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust to be just in our dealings, faithful to our encouragement and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, uh, excessive anger, to abstain from such worldly living and support of our involvement in practices that promote ungodly uh, lifestyles, and to be zealous by our example and efforts to uh, advance the cause of our Savior. James chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an even the Father, and therewith cause we uh, uh, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth. Please get this. Out of the same mouth proceedeth cursing or excuse me, blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not all not ought not to be so. James was was brutal on the tongue. And he says, We should not talk like that. We should not <clears throat> out of the same mouth blessings and cursings. That ought not to be. God has given us a tool called the tongue. And if I, I'll tell you what, it, 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 as, I, I, as I've been a pastor now for 14 years, the greatest criticism that I have heard from people outside of our church and some inside our church about church is the hypocrisy within the church. People who say one thing but live another. And James says that ought not to be. And if we as a church are going to demonstrate godly love, it's going to be because we live what we say. It is an amazing, blessed tool that God gives us called the tongue. But it can also be a very, very damaging tool.
Number seven. This one is a little more personal. Are we quick to care for each other? Are we quick to care for each other? We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy of speech. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness kindness, and to uh, brotherly <clears throat> kindness charity. Are we quick to care for each other? The reality is this. We've all had hurt. In 14 years, we've seen a lot of hurt. That hurt has come in many forms. Sickness, illnesses, death, loss of something, someone. It comes in a lot of ways, a lot of shapes, a lot of forms. And have we as a church always been faithful? I dare say not. We try hard. But do we... I want you to look at this verse here. As I read this verse the other day and started thinking about it, I thought, you know what? It's not by accident that brotherly kindness is sandwiched between godliness and agape love. Brotherly kindness. If we're going to be godly people, brotherly kindness has to be a part of our lives. Why? Because ultimately it is the demonstration of agape love. How are we doing, church? How am I doing? Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. But let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation here is the word for hypocrite. And let love be without hypocrisy, abhorring that which is evil, cleaving to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's live what we are supposed to live. And then number eight, and finally, the last point. Are we, recon are we quick to reconcile with each other? Are we quick to reconcile with each other? 
Let me continue reading the covenant. To be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the principles of our Savior and to secure reconciliation without delay. Slow to take offense. But when there is an offense, we should be quick to reconcile. Because again, you can't take the the vast majority of churches, <clears throat> put them all together in one room, and somebody not get hurt. Personality or personalities are going to conflict. And when it does, when it does happen, we should be quick to forgive. Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount that reconciliation has to be a, a huge priority in our lives. Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall uh, be in danger of, of the council. But whosoever say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother had aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come to offer thy gift. Now, in a literal sense, what is Jesus telling us here in Matthew chapter 5? If we don't have this relationship right, if we have conflict with a brother or a sister in Christ, if we have conflict here, you've got conflict here. You have to get this thing straight. Because if this is a problem, then you are opening the door for bitterness. <clears throat> We have to work on the horizontal before we can work on the vertical. If we, if we have conflict, well, let me read this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The root of bitterness is a, is a picture of an infection within the body. It is, a, it is a picture that God gives us. We are to be one body. And just ask Rick what happens with infection. It spreads and it affects the whole body. I know this personally because about three years ago, an infection almost killed my life. Or killed my life. Almost killed me. A simple little bug just about killed me. Why? Because the infection got in my knee and, the, and it just spread and spread and spread. 
This is the picture that God gives us when, when we do not make things right with our family, our church family. It affects the entire body. The infection of bitterness and hypocrisy will spread like wildfire within our church. And we have nobody to blame but ourselves. So let me ask you, how are we doing? As I sat in my office the other day and I, and I, I read through the, the covenant and I, I, God showed me these eight things, I, I, I looked at that and I thought, man, how am I doing? I'm not going to tell you what, what, what I told God. That's between him and I. But my question to you is this morning, number one, how are you doing? Question number two is, how are we doing? I think we have a long way to go yet. And the reality is this, as long as we're humans, okay, hello, and until, until Christ comes back and raptures us, we're all classified humans. So until, until that happens, guess what? We're going we're gonna to have to work at doing right. Because the last time I checked, each and every single one of us has got problems. But if we will covenant together to do right, God can use us in a great way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. Lord, you are, you are so good, good to us, so kind and so gracious. And in our closing, let me, let me just ask one very, very, very simple question. And that is, how are we doing? Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts as, the, as you have in mine. Individually and corporately, Lord, help us to see the need to do right. Help us, dear God, to keep our hearts and our minds focused on you. So thankful and grateful for all that you do. With every head